Hello and welcome to Tony Broom Ministries. Christians certainly should not go around causing trouble or making unnecessary noise. But, when circumstances call for it and the situation arises, we are to defend the faith without hesitation or shame. Pastor Broom's message this time is from the first 22 verses of Acts chapter 4. The title is, The Defense of Peter and John. Here's Pastor Tony. It's a good thing to be able to defend your faith. The Christian life is sometimes put in what we might call teachers have been in school, have some teachers in here, have been teachers, like a nursery rhyme. Little Jack Horner is sitting in the corner eating his Christmas pie, sticks in a thumb and pulls out a plum and says, what a good boy am I. That means that the Christian life is you're going along and you don't claim to be a super duper person. Some people think that you have to be a super duper saint, that you have to have a special elite, some kind of calling to really stand out as a saint. Well, all of God's children are saints. All of God's people are saints. A saint is not somebody that man looks up to. A saint is someone that brings people to God and brings God to people. It's like a priest in the Old Testament. We're priests of the Most High God. We may not have a priestly title, but all of us are a priest of the believers. Christian life is not made up of men who nobody can be like. Men and women who everybody else looks up to, but nobody can be like. The Christian life is ordinary folks. Ordinary Joe folks, just like we got. Ordinary Tony folks, and Linda's and Sam's and Sue's and George's. We may not have a name like Jehoshaphat because only God could think of a name like that. But we just regular folks. It's not the physical features that makes us a Christian. It's not what is on us necessarily that makes us a Christian. It's who is in us that makes us a Christian. We're going along living as natural people on this earth. We're not living in the flesh. We're still in the flesh, but we're not of the flesh. And so what I'm trying to say is that people like Peter and John were just normal folks. We think that they were real high people that you bow down and worship, but they didn't want anybody to worship them. They were just carrying out the Great Commission and doing what Jesus told them to do. The first 22 verses in Acts chapter 4 is our scripture today, and it talks about the defense of Peter and John. They were just regular folks, but when they were called upon to do so, they were not only able to do so, but they were more than eager to defend their faith. When you're called upon to do so, you are to defend your faith. And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. A crippled man had just been healed. And it got everybody, when sanctified Elvis, all shook up. And they were excited, but they didn't understand why this person who had been lame all of his life now all of a sudden is walking. 
And they began to tell the people that this same Jesus that they put in a tomb and God raised from the dead, His power is still alive today and this is why this man is walking. So the people were excited about it, but the religious crowd got upset about it. And they didn't want them to teach about the resurrection. They should have been glad that they were teaching the people and doing some good. Our powers and elites and people who, the powers that be, ought to be glad when somebody's out doing good and when you're having revival instead of causing riots and causing trouble in the street. They should have been glad, but the resurrection message actually offended them. It's amazing how it didn't offend the prostitute or the gambler, but it offended the religious crowd. The religious crowd are the ones that put Christ on the cross, not the common man in the street. Lord have mercy. The religious crowd who thought they had it all figured out, they did have it all figured out the way they wanted it. And when something came against the way they wanted it, they didn't like it. They laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next day, for it was now eventide. They locked them up. Now, I have a problem because I thought you're supposed to lock people up who are doing bad. You ain't supposed to lock people up who are doing good. That's the society we're living in. The more evil you are, they won't let you off. And I can prove it because there's legislation now which is designed to let the criminal out. And there's legislation designed now, those who are doing good, to lock them up. Same thing that they had going on in the first century. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. More were saved when the lame man was healed than on the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, they heard the message and 3,000 souls were saved. And that's wonderful. But when this man who was lame was healed, there were more than 5,000 people who were saved. It came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, he was that one who said that Christ was necessary, that he died for everybody, that the whole nation perished not, and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem and you can better believe that they were up to no good. They were not gathered together to have a revival or prayer meeting. They were gathered together to cause trouble and to be an offense against those who were standing up for Christ. When they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Don't you think they already really knew? They really knew that it was by the name of Jesus. They just wanted to make somebody admit it so they could interrogate them and do further harm and damage. But it gave Peter and John an opportunity to defend their faith. Peter said in his epistle later, when you are called upon to do so, be eager, be ready to give an answer to those who would question you concerning your faith. You may not ram religion down people's throat, but you better be able to give a reason why you do what you do, why you believe what you believe, why you go where you go. There's a reason behind it. It's not like the little girl who was asked, why do you go to church? Well, because people in my church go to church. Why do you believe what you believe? Well, it's because of what my church believes. No, what do you believe? 
It's important what we believe. Peter and John had an opportunity to defend their faith. And Peter said, you ought to always be ready to give an answer for those who would have a question about your faith. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost. I used to think that you better be filled with the Holy Ghost all the time. Because if you're not, you might have an occasion like they had then, you'll have to come up with it all of a sudden. So I used to think that you had to walk around being filled with the Holy Ghost all the time. Always walking around saying, Hallelujah. But that's not the way it is. Do you know what it means? It means, of course, he was a spirit-filled person. But there again, you're just going about your daily task. You're just doing what God wants you to do. But when the situation and circumstance calls for it, you ought to be in a position to where immediately you can be filled with the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost can come up in here in that situation. When the situation arises, it's almost like sparking a fire. If you don't want no fire, you better not do no sparking. If you don't want no trouble, that is trouble in the way that if you don't want the Holy Spirit to respond, you better not be playing with Him. Don't play with the Holy Ghost if you don't want Him to move. Don't be poking around if you don't want to choke the fire up. Lord, have mercy. Peter, when this situation called upon it, he was filled with the Holy Ghost and said unto them, You rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all, y'all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. They gave praise to Jesus and all glory to God. This should be our response. When we're called upon to say, why do you do, why do you say, and why do you not say, and why do you believe what you believe, we are to be able to give all praise to Jesus and give all glory to God. That way you won't have to take any accolades for yourself. Because when you start heaping praises on yourself, and touching that anointing and giving glory to yourself, you're in a whole heap of trouble. When somebody says you're a good preacher, you're a good man, you're a good this, I know what they mean, but the scripture said there's none good, no, not one. There's only one good and that's God. And if Jesus himself said that, you and I ought to take notice to take no glory to ourselves. Many preachers have come and gone. Many good men and women have fallen because they have touched the anointing, because they have taken the glory for themselves. Give all glory to God. This is a stone which was set at naught of you builders. Now Psalm 118 said, this is a stone that was set at naught of the builders, become the head of the corner. This is marvelous in the Lord's eyes. It's great in our eyes. It's a marvelous thing. And now Peter says, he puts a word in there. This is a stone that was set at naught of you builders. He puts the chips where they are. Let them fall where they may, Brother Denneray said. Which is become the head of the corner. They put the blame where it belonged. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. They proclaimed salvation. 
If our Christian message does not proclaim salvation, we're just a gonging cymbal and a tinkling cymbal and a gonging bell that doesn't do anything. We have to proclaim salvation. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Peter and John were just common men, but their Lord is the King of glory. It's not what kind of people we are that makes us something, but it's who we serve that makes both us and Him something. He is the King of glory. He is the God of Israel. He is Elohim. He is El Elyon. He's the Most High God. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's Jehovah Shammah. He's Jehovah Shalom. He's a God of Israel. He's a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the one who makes us anything that we are. He's the God of glory. He's the King of life. He's a God of creation. He's a Lamb of glory. He's the one I love and serve. Beholding the man which was healed, standing there healed, they could say nothing against it. It's hard to deny the supernatural when you can see the proof of the power of God. That's what we want to see in our generation. Not just talking about the Wigglesworth. Not just talking about John G. Lake. Not just talking about the bishops that we had. Not just talking about the revivals. Not just talking about Azusa Street. We want to see it more than in Kentucky. We want to see it more than in Lakewood, Florida. We want to see it all over. We want to see it in Henderson. We want to see it in Raleigh. We want to see it in London and Moscow. All over the world, the power of God moving. We want to see the proof of the power of God. God doesn't have to prove anything to us. But this world needs to see that what we're talking about is real. When they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? How about a free steak dinner? That'd be good for them, wouldn't it? No, they didn't have that in mind. You can believe that. For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. When liberals lose, they become even more crooked and deceitful. You just see it on TV. When something good happens, when something right, and sometimes it is. Every once in a while you have a right clause, you'll have a right decree, you'll have something good God's not going to just sit up there and make everything go bad and let everything go bad. Some good things are going to happen. But when good things go happen, when good things happen, instead of liberals saying, you know what, we need to join that which is good, they become more crooked and deceitful. Liberals are like any other ball team. They don't like to lose. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. Why are devils so afraid of the things of God if in fact they aren't real? Why do they try to make themselves believe it? Why are devils so afraid of the things of God if in fact they aren't real as they try to make themselves believe? Truth is, they know it's real. They just don't like it, but they know it's real. If it ain't real, why all the fuss about it? Why cause trouble about it? If it ain't real anyway, just don't do anything. They know it's real. The devil himself knows it's real. He misses the things of God in a way. He misses the worship of God. And when you start talking to him about it, when you are worshiping God and praising God and he's trying to bother you, it's because not only does he want to cause trouble to you, but he misses the things of God. 
And when you remind him, yeah, you do miss it, don't you, old boy? You remember how it used to be. You'll hear a door slam. You may not hear a door slam, but he's done got out of Dodge. He will not stay around when you remind him how it used to be. If that doesn't do it, you're reminding him how it used to be, you can remind him how it's going to be. When the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are, shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge you. You judge whether that's right or not. We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. It's hard to be a good Christian witness when you're not a Christian. If you're going to witness for Christ, you've got to have something to witness and talk about. It's like going and standing before the judge and the lawyer said, I got a good witness right here. The judge said, all right, witness, what do you got to say? Well, he said, you know, I really wasn't there and I really didn't know anything. I really didn't see anything. I really can't tell much of anything. You think that's going to hold water? It's not going to do it. Peter said, I can tell you something. We can testify not of some pie pie in the sky by and by when you die. We can testify of the things that we know, the things that we have heard and seen. Any command or decree given to go against God does not have to be heeded by the child of God. We are law-abiding citizens. People of God should be law-abiding people. You will do right. You want to do right. You have a desire in your heart to do right. You don't have to have a command from the law officer to tell you to do right because it's in your heart to do right. You're a child of God. You're going to do what's right. But when a decree comes down from Caesar or from the governor, or from the president, or whoever, that goes against God as a child of God, you don't have to do it because there's a law that supersedes the law of America, and that is the law of God Almighty. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. You see, it's not the people that's the problem. It's certain people who have been put in power, that's the problem. It's certain people who have forgotten who put them up there, that's the problem. They used to be regular Joes like you and I, but now they done got a sniff of the glue. They done got a touch of fame, and they forgot how they're supposed to walk with both footses on the ground. They have forgotten when it rains, you're supposed to get out of the rain. They got a lot of book sense, but they're lacking in common sense. The people is not the problem. The people glorified God. The religious crowd is the one who was causing the problem. God was glorified, and that was the important thing. For the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. Healing or any of the blessings of God has no restriction when it comes to age or color, creed, culture, distance, Gender, generation, kindred, language, nationality, people, race, or tribe. The whole wonder the book of the Revelation said when you get there, it's going to be people made up from all nations and tribes and languages and tongues. The blessing of the Lord, it makes rich and He adds no sorrow with it. Proverbs 10.22 That's good for the Old Testament. What about the New? The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Romans 11.29 God is not going to give you a blessing and take it back. If you lose it, it's your fault. 
It's not God's fault. The defense of Peter and John can and should be our defense. In the faith, they were mighty apostles. But in the natural, they were just common, everyday, normal men. What they had, we can have too. Because we serve the same God. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Father, thank you for the opportunity to love Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for having the experiences that we have experienced today. You may not can write them down like a work of grace. You may not can write them down in a doctrine, but it's a blessing that we have received from God today. And we thank you, Lord, for the power of Pentecost. We thank you for the full gospel. We thank you, Lord, the defense of Peter and John can be our defense today when we need to stand for Christ and stand up for Jesus, stand in his strength alone. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to walk in the power of God in the glory of his might. Let many people be touched. Let revival shake this nation and this world for the glory of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In this age when everything is cultured to be generally accepted, and when speech is tailored so as to not offend anyone, let us make sure that we do not become soft or passive concerning the Christian faith and the things of God. Our sermon from Acts chapter 4 has been entitled, The Defense of Peter and John. May their defense and boldness be ours in this late hour just before the coming of Jesus Christ. This has been, a Tony Brew Ministries production.